it's in the air Down here it's everywhere Between your toes and in your hair On a beach chair In your eyes cold beer On the skin you're rubbing that copper tone in their salt Around a margarita rim their salt Good morning, good morning, good morning Cable Smith, welcome everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That is Dos Baracho Salt. Dos Baracho really is uh, Kevin Fowler and Roger Kreger collaborating on a recent project. <laughs> Good stuff there. Two of my favorites. Hope everybody had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, you can go ahead and put up those Christmas lights now. So many of you already in violation over the past couple weeks. You got to get through Thanksgiving. Before you can put your Christmas tree up or turn on those Christmas lights. But now that uh, we've gotten through Thanksgiving, fire up that light display that would make Clark Griswold jealous. I tell you, it is time. And with that being said, we've got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking all things hunting dogs, specifically retrievers. But before I expand on that, you know what to do. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos. Bell and I went on our first uh, two duck hunts of the season this past week, and so uh, I busted out the old Stanley. Still had mud caked on it from last duck season. Had to rinse out what I think was coffee, maybe with a little uh, bourbon in it. Not sure. It was pretty gross. It had been in there for a year, <laughs> but uh, we're all good to go now. So pour yourself another cup. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire because we are ready to rock and roll and off the top, we'll be joined by a longtime friend of the show, someone who I've hunted and fished with a bunch over the years, and Jacob Orr of Limitless Outdoor Adventures. He recently had a nightmarish experience with a trainer dumping close to $10,000 into a dog that 13 months later when he picked up the dog, not only could it not function in hunting situations, it really didn't even have basic obedience mastered. So what went wrong there? Uh, we'll get Jacob's take on that. And if he accepts any of the blame himself as the owner, I mean, did he go in and check on the dog? Or should he really even be required to go check on his pup? I mean, you pay for a product, a service, and you expect a return on that investment. And in that vein, um, after we get Jacob's story, we'll check in with trainer Rusty Hagland of Trigger Time Kennels. Now, Rusty did not train this dog. I wanted to get a neutral party's take on what you should do, what I should do to avoid having a similar situation as Jacob experienced. So uh, we'll discuss that. Plus, uh, we'll compare different types of hunting dogs. Specifically, we'll dive in deep on labs, different colors, uh, Americans versus English. Is there advantage to having one over the other? I don't know. Uh, what about a Chessie's temperament? We will discuss that as well. And then at the bottom of the hour, if we have time, we'll get into uh, health and maintenance tips, among other things. So it's all about hunting dogs, specifically retrievers today. And I think that anyone who hunts with dogs, whether that's, you know, hog dogging with curs and, and pit bulls or chasing cougars through the mountains with a pack of hounds um, or, or pheasant in South Dakota with a great pointer, whatever it is. Um, I think that everyone can learn from today's broadcast. I know I certainly did. And, and I've been messing around with gun dogs for, God, Maverick, let's see, 17 years now. So 
Anyway, lots of insightful stuff coming up on today's broadcast. Let's take care of a couple things here. Don't forget to send in your best hunting, fishing, or outdoor photo. You can email them to LoneStarOutdoorShow at gmail.com. We've got a Mossberg Patriot 350 Legend, I believe is what it is. Yeah, it's a 350 Legend, kind of a new caliber that is out. Uh, we're going to give one away this month. So send in your best outdoor photo. You can also tag me on Instagram or Facebook to get entered in this month's contest, uh, which is actually the October-November contest. And then our winners from 2019 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to hunt trophy axis deer or black buck with me down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another great grand prize hunt package offered up by Coons Canyon Ranch. Let's do a quick giveaway since we're talking all things gun dogs, retrievers, duck hunting. Today I've got a box. Actually, we'll do two boxes of Kent Teal Steel, number, I think it's number five shot. And uh, this is in 20 gauge. So if you, uh, if you like shooting a 20 and you're going duck hunting anytime soon, be sure to uh, email the word, let's just say retriever. That's retriever to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and we'll get you entered into this week's contest. Well, let's take a quick break. Coming up, all trainers and retrievers, certainly not created equal. We discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoors Show. You by that middle name that no one knows, and you'd be ashamed, but at least you would have recognized me. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to threecurl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Well, thank you for your precious time. Forgive me if I start to cry. That's how I got to Memphis. Oh, that's how I got to Memphis. There's a little double D, Daryl Dodd, how I got to Memphis, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thank you for being here. As we've certainly got an interesting and educational topic to get into today concerning hunting dogs and the people that we trust to train those dogs. Now, a lot of us train the dogs ourselves. I did with my first one. 
Um, second go around, I didn't want to do that. I wanted one that would exhibit all of the characteristics that I wanted in a in a trained hunting dog, and that was something that I didn't feel I could do, nor nor like I said, did I have the time or want to. Um, now, my friend Jacob Orr, he paid for and expected to have the same experience, a positive one, and a return on his investment. That did not happen. And Jacob will join us momentarily to talk about um, the do's and don'ts, so to speak, of picking a breeder and uh, having your dog trained. But before Jacob joins the show, this segment of the presentation is brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. And I'd personally like to invite you to join our organization because when it comes down to it, what we care most about is educating the public, protecting hunters' rights, and conservation. For more information, check us out at biggame.org. Well, moving right along here, uh, let's bring on our first guest. Like I said, he is a longtime friend of mine. We've shared many of duck blinds and uh, quite a few fishing trips as well over the years. It's my pleasure to welcome veteran striper and waterfowl guide Jacob Orr back to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Cable. It's been a while. Yes, it has. I think uh, last time I saw you was February. Uh, Henry and I came up and we went striper fishing, and man, it was. I think that was about as cold as Henry's ever been. Yeah, yeah, I think he had a lot of fun. I think he caught a lot more fish than you did that day. Uh, yeah, I think we caught like 11 or 12 really good-sized stripers, and we let him reel every one of them. He still talks about that, saying how he caught all the fish and Dad didn't catch any. So, good, good. Yeah, that was a good time. Um, what I want to talk about today, though, is kind of an unfortunate situation, one that you called me last week and told me this, what, what had happened. And uh, you and I have been hunting ducks together for a long time. I don't know how long we've been friends, but it's been a while, and sometimes I ring bells, sometimes we hunt with your, your dog, Molly, who's getting up there in age, and I think that's what led you to want to get a new pup. It is. I mean, you get to a certain point with a dog, you know, just like you and you and Maverick, you know, your mm-hmm. your first one there. You know, Molly's 13 now, and every every season here, I keep thinking, well, she's going to, you know, deteriorate from here. Or, you know, she's deaf, but she's still still plenty spry, and she'll go get every duck you shoot. So. Yeah. But, you know, you can't bring a dog like that around clients and on a big, big hunt, you know, just because she can't hear anything. So, yeah, yeah, yeah I had, uh, you know, opted to start a pup and, and get things moving for, you know, the time when the time Molly couldn't hunt anymore. Uh-huh. So she's 13. Uh, I think Maverick's last hunt, he was 12. And like you said, he's like Molly. He still wanted to go. But, dude, I hunted when he was 12 and he'd, he'd come home and he would literally lay on his bed for two days. He was so stiff he couldn't move. So then uh then it was bell's show from then from that point on so you went and did some research before you bought this pup did you actually buy the pup from from the kennel that you ended up using no no i bought her from a uh you know out of a hunting a hunting dog you know just a just a couple hunting dogs i mean real good working you know retrieving meat dogs is kind of the the pup i wanted and and that's what i i got her out of just a, a kind of a private breeder deal uh-huh. and uh you know, like I said, I'd researched a, a, a bunch of trainers and a, all over the place. I mean, I, I, my first intentions were to leave this dog, you know, until she was done. Yeah. And, you know, so I, I knew I was going to spend some money on her. And, and uh, that was my intention out of the gate, you know, was to put some money into this dog. And I was finally in a place in my life to be able to do that. And, yeah. you know, just 
had a 10 month old baby, you know, got a 10 month old baby, you know, had a baby in the middle of this whole deal. So, you know, I, you know, the dog took, uh, definitely took back seat to that. Sure. But, you know, she stayed at that trainer for, for 13 months. So 13 months. Okay. Well, see, and, and, you know, I put this post, I didn't, I left your name out of it, but I just put what had happened on Facebook and the, the comments were very, well, varied to be honest with you. Um, and some people were like, a lot of people were like, if you're too lazy to train your own dog, then you don't, you shouldn't have a hunting dog. And I was like, that is absolutely incorrect. You know, I trained Maverick and then I was like, or maybe Maverick more trained me because we learned to hunt together, you know? Um, yeah. but on my next dog, I was like, mm, he's a little rough around the edges because I didn't, I'm not a, a dog trainer, you know, he did what exactly. I wanted him to do. Um, exactly. but I was like, I want a dog now on my next dog that isn't going to break. You don't have to tie him to the blind. Um, they're going to honor when another dog's hunting with them, all that stuff. Um, they're going to take hand signals. So I was like, I did the same thing as you, researched a bunch of kennels, ended up going with Tioga Retriever, uh, Retrievers, Tioga Retriever, <laughs> Tioga Retrievers out of uh, Aubrey. And Angie has since retired, but um, she took Belle for, I think I sent her when she was nine months old. She took her for three months, and she came back just a machine. So my experience was was a very positive one, and then I would send her back every October for for like a refresher between uh, dove season and duck season, and uh, and she would you know fine tune her up to that point. But that was not your experience, Jacob. And uh, I want you to tell us a little bit about first of all, what were your expectations? Because I think our expectations were very similar. Um, now I didn't leave my dog there for 13 months in a row, um, but but what were you expecting to get out of this investment? Like you said, you know, Molly, uh, my first dog here, I mean, she wasn't my first by any means, but the dog I have now, I mean, I, I trained her myself. I, I lived by myself. You know, my wife kind of, you know, we'd gotten married when I had Molly, you know, uh-huh. and I'd already had her. So I had the time and, and, uh, you know, I was broke back then, you know, so I just, oh, me too out when I had Maverick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. And, and you know, he wasn't eating any, uh, he wasn't eating any primo dog food. It was like, here's your Alpo, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. You know, and, that, and that's people say, you know, man, just, you know, if you need to train a dog or send it to a trainer, you're too lazy. You're right. You know, but that's uh, Molly went and got every duck we ever shot. Yeah. You know, she broke. She didn't, you know, she couldn't cast different directions or, I mean, she just relied on her nose and Molly's training was experience. I mean, we just, we hunted together every day. Yeah. And whether I had clients or not, Molly and I would go out and we would hunt. And, you know, shoot a few birds and, and there's no, no substitute for experience. Mm-hmm. I wanted a dog that would get that experience, but I already had the fundamentals and the, and the, uh, drive and the obedience, you know, like you said, not to break and go get that bird when I tell her to go get that bird and go tell, go get which bird I told her to go get. And, mm-hmm. you know, just a, a more fine tuned dog. I mean, you can work in your backyard with just about any Labrador retriever to go get a duck, yep. you know, but when you're hunting you know, five to 10, 11 guys in a blind and on a good day, shoot a bunch of ducks. I mean, it takes a special dog to do that. Yep. Yep. That's what I wanted. Well, and but going back to those comments of your, you know, people are saying you're too lazy. Like you just said, life gets in the way. You have a, you have a 10 month old, you're a full-time striper guide. Training a dog is, I mean, that's a full-time deal. It's every day, you know, 15 to 30 minutes minimum. And I'll, I'll be honest with you. I used to work bell, three or four times a week before I had kids, I have not thrown bumpers for Belle in a year. I guarantee you. And for her at nine years old, it's like, right. get the first duck you shoot this year. So yeah. And it's like riding a bike for, for a nine year old dog. It doesn't matter. 
but when you're when you're trying to train up a dog, one that's going to be well behaved, like what you want, um, for people with a busy life, yeah, I mean that's why that's why there are dog trainers. That's why this is a huge business industry, right? Um, that's why there's fishing guides. That's right. why there's hunting guides. I mean, that's, you know, yes. <laughs> they provide a service. You can go out on public land and do it all you want, and you know, and, or you can, you know, hire a guide and go do it. But yeah. and and you know, there's so many relatable experiences in, in every walk of business. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Including this dog situation that I got myself into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the same thing goes with fishing guides and hunting guides all over the country. You hear good and bad things back and forth. You know. And, and the blame is to be put, you know, on several different people. I mean, the, the blame is just spread across the board, you know, and I take full blame for, for my response, my part of that, you know, and I didn't take, you know, I wasn't as diligent about going over there. And I also wasn't, you know, allowed over there as much as I, as I should have just made myself go. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely just put too much trust into, into one person, man. And, you know, I, I was, on the phone, back and forth, and you know we always talked, and and you know every report that I would get was she's coming along nicely, or she's you know working on this, and she's doing great, and she's picking this up, and mm. you know it was just a totally different story when I got her back 13 months later. So you went and picked her up before duck season started this year, and and uh, she'd been there 13 months. What? I mean, did you just take her hunting that first time out of the box and and and? No, the yeah, the trainer had actually brought her up to me. Okay, I mean, that's, he actually brought her up here and hunted with me, and and uh, you know I'd related to the related to the trainer that uh, you know I'd be hunting this dog out of a boat a lot of the times. I just bought a boat for you know hunting the lakes up here and, and doing some public hunting, and and that was going to get me back into hunting more uh-huh. than you know and having fun and me and a buddy and the dog going out and hunting, you know, out of the boat. And instead of going to one of my leases or private spots here and burning it up for just a couple guys. And, you know, I, I take all my clients and, and paid hunters to those places, mm-hmm. you know, so the boat was going to free me up to, you know, have a little more fun and to hunt. And, you know, that, that first time you brought her up, we, you know, we just met at the boat ramp and, and went hunting. And, and, uh, I mean, it was just a, it was tough from, you know, from then on, I mean, it just, you know, it was pretty, pretty evident and you know really quick there that that wasn't the dog that i was you know wanting or that i was expecting for sure and and she was a different dog when i went to visit her at the trainer i mean she did she did everything he told her to do uh-huh. you know she may have not done it very uh, passionately or wasn't too excited to do it but you know i you got to look past that and just kind of hope that a dog is, is building that drive or you know having a bad day or something like that so it was just, uh, you know, my first experience with, with using a trainer and man, it, it, you know, it was a bad one. Uh-huh. You know, I hope this next one, you know, is, is way better. So unfortunately is a lesson learned and is an expensive lesson learned. So what were the behaviors that you were expecting that she didn't exhibit? Like what, what, what was her malfunction there on that hunt? You know, she just curled up in the boat and, and just laid there, man. Huh. I mean, she just absolutely you know, kind of terrified. I mean, just curled up in the boat and laid there. You know, we shot a few birds. You know, we shot at a few birds. And, and I mean, you know, you look down and, and she'd just still be laying there. You know, nothing, you know, nothing. You broke a bumper out for this dog. If you brought if you brought a bumper out for this dog, I mean, you'd have more fun than you'd want to have. I mean, she's fetching bumpers. And that's, you know, large part because that trainer, all he used was bumpers. He very rarely used birds. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I should I should have researched on my own right there, you know. I will say every Saturday, from from Tioga Retrievers, Angie and uh, Tim would have 
live flyers. And anyone who had a dog there was invited to come out and shoot the live flyers for the dogs so you could be a part of it. Um, so they were every Saturday getting live birds. And then for most of the training, they were using those dead birds that they'd shot throughout the week. They'd freeze them and then thaw them out. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So was the dog physically like her appearance? You also told me something alarming that, that she was fat and out of shape. Yeah, she just wasn't, you know, I went to, I've, I've, I've since visited a couple, you know, other dog trainers and kennels and some that are right there, you know, in that area, man, and you, and you dogs get off the trucks and you see those dogs work and you see their ribs and you see their muscles and their legs and, you know, they don't look like pets, you know what I mean? They, they look like working dogs. And, and this dog came back and they looked like she'd just been laying there in the, in the camper, you know, and eating too much for a year, you know, 13 months. And, so it, it was just, you know, you've got to look at a dog's elbows and see if their elbows are real ashy or, you know, and see if they're, how their nails look. And you can tell they just spent most of their life on that concrete. And, you know, again, that, you know, I feel bad for the dog. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had different plans for that dog. I, you know, my daughter, you know, we, we named her Emery and, uh, you know, that dog I had her named, named her Ember and that was going to be, you know, Emery and Ember. I mean, that was, they were going to grow up together and, you know, I grew up with a dog, and that, you know, I had big plans for this dog, but you know, she just wasn't going to make the cut as far as the hunting goes, and and that's what she was bought, mm-hmm. trained for was to be hunting. I mean, I didn't want a, another pet. You know, I've, I've still got Molly, like we said, she's thirteen and lives on the floor in the, in the house, you know, and just gets oh, all yeah. loved all over by the baby. So, you know, she's living the life and she's earned it. But I didn't want another pet. You know, I just planned on leaving a dog out in the out in the kennel out behind the shop here and, and build a nice, you know, indoor outdoor kennel and leaving the dog out there and, and just hunting that dog as, you know, every day I could. So that's, yeah. uh, that's what I had planned on this dog. And she just, you know, the trainer, you know, he took fault for not understanding what I wanted out of the dog. And, uh, you know, I don't, that's, that's the thing you told me that I was like, I don't, I don't get that. Like, how does he not know that you want a working hunting dog when you're investing? What did you spend on the training alone? $9,000? Yeah, I just shot nine thousand dollars. Yeah, Whew, that's a tough pill to swallow. That's a that's a down payment on a new pickup. So yeah, yeah, or a, or a good chunk off of one of the boats I own. You know. So, yeah. Goodness. Trust me, I could have spent that money, uh, you know, several different ways. But I, uh, you know, it's just tough. I mean, there's so much blame to be put everywhere, yeah. and it's just an extremely, you know, unfortunate circumstance. But Ember, that dog is is since you know found a, a great home with a guy living in living in dallas by himself and you know wanted an indoor pet and just a, a dog to hunt a, a little bit here and there and that's the the type of dog she's going to be yeah but you know i i didn't want that type of dog and and you know in my mind that's what wasn't, wasn't the type of dog that i was getting back but you know in the trainer's mind that's the top type of dog that he had there but you know we just weren't on the same page and you know like i said he took some fault for you know not relaying that information to me like hey this dog isn't going to do what you want to do like it and, seems to me like and, and we're not going to say the the kennel the trainer's name uh, we'll leave that out of here but i'm sure if people wanted more info they could find get in touch with you and you would tell them all about it but that that's not the point of this discussion um i will say this though one thing that's off-putting to me is that if he knows this dog isn't going to cut it and he's a professional dog trainer a hunting dog trainer he could probably tell pretty quick right and the fact is he didn't, and he just kept taking your money. Uh, and you, I mean, you said part of it, the blame goes on you for not going and checking in on her as much as you should have. But at the same time, that, that 
that's not really the most honest way to do business in my opinion. It's not. I mean, you know, that's it's definitely not to, you know, 13 months later just, you know, kind of apologize and and uh you said the dog even well, like jumps on people. Yeah. That's like I mean, basic the dog obedience. Can fall over you and, you know, jumps all over you and I mean just, you know, doesn't heal and doesn't doesn't do what you tell her to do. I mean, and and then his you know, like I said, we're not going to name any names here. I mean, this isn't a bashing of any sort. It's just a kind of, you know, I wish I would have listened to some guy talk about his situation like this before I did, you know, took the same actions I did, you yeah. know. So that's what we're doing here. And, and you know, I, I had a few friends with dogs at trainers, and, and I actually had, a, you know, knew a guy that had his dog at that trainer. And, uh, you know, but not nearly the as long and you know, he got the dog back early and kind of finished him herself. And she's just a good hunting dog. I mean, yeah. not a, you know, not a field trial dog, not a, you know, a master hunter, not nothing like that. You know, just a, a good meat dog going to get some birds. But you're right. I mean, he he had plenty of opportunity to wash this dog out is kind of the terms that I've learned and the terms that you've heard, you know, I've heard throughout this whole process here is, you know, you could wash that dog out and say, hey, man, this isn't going to be the dog you want it to be. Mm-hmm go get another dog and, and bring me another dog. And I would have had no problem doing that. Yeah. You know, but he just, you know, he just, like cut, take him you know, you got to cut your losses. There's no point in throwing good money after bad money. And I'm sure that Ember will make a great pet for that guy that, that uh, has her now, but not what she wanted. And one, one other thing that I was like, didn't quite understand when I grabbed the shot collar, Belle starts wagging her tail and she knows it's time to go do what she loves to do. This dog was deathly afraid of the shot collar, which, to me, means that she just got fried. Well, it was just shop. used incorrectly. I mean, it wasn't introduced correctly. It was no collar conditioning. There was, you know, mm. it, it, it just wasn't correct. I mean, the things that got, you know, every dog's different, you know, and just like people, I mean, everybody's different. Every dog is different. You know, the temperament, what they're going to do and their drive and their their passion and what, what they want to do. I mean, it's just every, every dog is different. And, and when you, you know, I should have researched and, and done my, you know, my research a little more, I guess, because, you know, I didn't have a dog that would take a lot of pressure, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I had a trainer that, you know, gave a lot of pressure. So it just, it wasn't a good fit. And that's something that you're right. I mean, the guy that's taking your money should know a month or two in. Yeah. And that that's my biggest, you know, obstacle with this entire thing is, is just why it went on so long, you know, and it's hard to, some days I think, man, I let it go on too long. Some days I think, well, you know, I fish 300 trips a year and and on this lake 300 days a year. So it just, you know, I didn't have the time and, and didn't put the effort to, you know, checking in on her as often as I should have. Mm-hmm. Well, and it just goes to show you my, my experience with, and, and we both have used a trainer one time, right? Um, my experience was completely different than yours. If I guess just like you said, it's just a PSA on doing your due diligence. I mean, not that you didn't. You did some research. I think now you wish you would have done a little more. Um, and then also you got to go check in on them and just, uh, because I guess, and you feel like that's your responsibility. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of a catch 22 because at the same time you're paying $9,000 for a, for basically a service and a product that you're going to have delivered at the end of that investment. And that just didn't come to fruition. Not at all. You know, it's, it's tough pill to swallow, but you know, moving on, you know, get sold the dog and, and uh, like I said, to a great home where she's going to be loved on as a pet, and you know, take a, a road trip to Home Depot once a week, and you know that type of deal. And that mm-hmm. wasn't the, wasn't the dog that I was looking for. You know, I'm a, I've got a busy busy life here, and 
And, uh, you know, I wanted a dog to load up in that boat and go get 30, 40 ducks if we shot them, you know, load her up in the truck, take her to, you know, Kansas and and go get, you know, 30, 40 geese every day. And that wasn't the, that wasn't the dog that I'd had, that I had there. And, you know, she was six months old when I brought her to him. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I I mean, I had her, you know, from obviously when she was a pup, so she was six months and, you know, worked with her in and out of the water and, and things like that and, and she wasn't ever wasn't ever gun shy or anything like that we worked on all that and you know that's another thing is this dog come back and she just doesn't like the water huh you know in the lab trainers, that doesn't like water that's uh <laughs> you know the, the well the trainer's explanation was that he didn't work the dogs when it was cold and you know and but i mean that's when we work the dogs yeah i mean that's when i don't i don't want that dog to go fetch bumpers in the in june in in july you know in the water i want that dog to go get ducks and December and break the ice with her front paws. You know, that's what, I, that's what I wanted. So yeah. it, like I said, it was just so much on, on two different pages. It was, you know, we're in the same book, but we're on two different pages. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the outcome wasn't very good. Yeah. Well, I think folks can certainly learn from this. Um, fortunately you were able to get a started dog from uh, another kennel. I know they're going to be training that dog. Uh, did you get another little black female? Yeah, I did, you know, and she she's kind of the exact opposite dog. I mean, doesn't like to be loved on, <laughs> doesn't like to, you know, doesn't want to put her head in your lap and, and get loves, and, and yeah, I mean, that's fine. I mean, I yeah. just, you know, I wanted a, a tool, and, you know, at some point in a dog's life, you know, just like Molly, when she was younger, I mean, she wasn't all about getting loved on. She just wanted to go get birds, and mm-hmm. if she did something bad, I could get, you know, a little, uh, get onto her real hard. I mean, you put that dog in, into the ground, and and you know she'd jump right back up and go do what she told her to do right after that. So that's more this dog's temperament, and uh, it's easier to tell with a you know eight nine month old dog their temperament. So yeah, hopefully this one will work out. <laughs> yeah, well, and you basically just described Belle when she came back from the kennel the first time. Um, just we didn't have kids at that point, so loving you know people crawling all over and stuff wasn't a thing. But I will say that life cycle in in, in a dog with kids it, it certainly changes because. She's still just as fired up to go hunting as ever, but I mean the kids crawl all over her now, and, and she loves it. So I expect exactly. uh, well, at some did. point your new dog is gonna with with your kiddo, you know, it's, it's gonna be the same deal. No, yeah, it's, it's 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 easier to rein a dog in, I think, you know, from from all the experiences I've had here, especially. I mean, it's a, it's a little easier to to rein a dog in than it is to get a dog pumped up to go do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, yeah. so that's. I mean, but once they have that fire, that 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 never goes out. No, so that uh, family dog or not, they'll they'll still be amped up as ever just to to go sit in the duck blind. And uh, right. I can well, tell you though, I you know I definitely plan on you know spending a lot more time at the trainer with this one and and uh, because you you need to be trained as much as that dog needs to be trained. Oh. <laughs> Each trainer you know trains a little differently and. And, uh, I mean, just spend time there yeah. and, and, you know, I mean, just again, I mean, if I, you know, that's a lot of money. I mean, I spent just, you know, I, I did spend $9,000 total on the dog and the training and everything. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, I never, never thought I'd be in a situation to even do that, you know, and, and then when I got myself in that situation and did it and, and, uh, it was a, one of the worst things I've ever went through, you know, with a dog so, yeah. Yeah. and a trainer and, and just spending money on a service, you know, so. Oh yeah. I would well, just do your research and be be diligent about it. Yeah. And going back to the trainer needs to train the 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 owner. Um yeah, the first couple times I went out there, I didn't know what I was doing, you know, Angie had to tell me where to stand and what to say because they, you know, they have certain commands that they use as a trainer and 
You know, you have to speak that language. And then the, when I went and picked Bell up was they were doing a, a field trial. And I had, I don't, you know, kind of like semi aspirations of, um, yeah, maybe we'll get Bell, you know, some, some uh, hunt tests under her belt or <laughs> field trials. And, and we failed that first trial because I didn't know what I was doing. She knew what she was supposed to do. I didn't know what to tell her to do. And that was the end of our, uh, our hunt test, uh, career together. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. different things. I mean, you know, there's, there's, you know, if you, a lot of those hunt tests and field trials and things, I mean, they're great. I mean, there's dogs that that's the, all they do all year long, and uh, you know, it's definitely a, a, something that I thought about getting Ember involved in that first dog, just because it's different. I mean, yeah. taking her off site, you know, and and keeping her fresh and keep her, you know, it's just again, it's just money, you know what I mean. And then when the trainer, you know, said, oh, she she had her first heat cycle. So we're not gonna be able to do this test. And then he never brought up tests again. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. so to me, I was like, well, man, this guy, you know, looking back, I was like, well, this guy knew she wouldn't pass the test. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she wouldn't hunt. So oh, yeah. Yeah. It just, you know, it, there's little things that you think about and it all leads back and, you know, you can put the blame on anybody, but like I said, it's just a, it's a, it's a tough uh, circumstance to be in for sure. And a lot of money that I spent, but, this dog that I've got coming, I mean, hopefully she'll, you know, she's kind of out of some field trial dogs and she's a real high drive. Like I said, not a, not a pet. So yeah, we'll see what happens with this one. Yeah. And she's already started too. So you're, like you said, you already know what you're getting there. And, uh, at nine months old, she's got the drive that you're looking for. So it sounds like things are going to be, uh, a lot better. Now, when will you get this dog back in time for maybe for next season or do you plan on hunting yeah, it this yeah, season? We're looking, yeah. We're just looking at next season now. I mean, I, I'm two seasons behind with this dog. I mean, I, I've got her, you know, I got her and then everybody said, don't hunt her first year, you know, you need to leave her in, in training with me. And, and I said, no problem. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to hunt a dog too young. And, and, uh, so I left her there and that's another thing I wasn't ever, you know, she was kept there. And I asked a few times, I said, man, do I need to bring that dog back or, you know, get her and bring her home for a little while? And, you know, it just never, never was, you know, hey, you need to come get your dog and bring her here. It's just, mm-hmm. hey, send me that, you know, 650 bucks every month. So mm-hmm. it, uh, it, it was tough, but hopefully this one will work out. Well, right on, man. Well, Jacob, certainly appreciate it. If you want to give your uh, website, I don't know. I don't know if you're booked up for duck hunts, but I know you're always booking striper trips on Texoma. Yeah, we're not doing a whole lot of duck hunts. Just the guys that have hunted with me for years, and you know, that first hunt with that that first dog kind of put me in the dumps for this season. So, <laughs> I, you know, I don't have a dog to run this season out, yeah. outside of this old deaf thirteen-year-old brown dog that's <laughs> laying here overweight. But, you know, so yeah, I mean, fishing trips—that's that's what I do. I mean, they pay the bills, and I just enjoy the duck hunt. And uh, but yeah, my website jacobror.com dot com. And uh, you can give me a shout, 903-819-3329. All right, brother. Well, hey, we appreciate it. Thanks for coming on and, and sharing this uh, bad luck story. But uh, obviously things are on the uptick now. So uh, we're going to have to get in the duck line this season. We do. We do, especially next season. Hopefully we'll have a have a couple dogs to run. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Gabe. We'll have a good one. All right. There he goes, a good friend, Jacob Orr. Uh, hate to hear about that, but hopefully – his situation will help some of y'all avoid going down a similar path. Uh, that segment of the show proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer. You know, if I just dropped nine grand on a dog that really turned out to be quite worthless, I'd be drowning my sorrows with an ice cold Lone Star Beer. Maybe five or six of them, to be honest with you. Maybe I should buy Jacob a Lone Star Beer. But anyway, Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. 
Up next, we continue talking duck dogs with Rusty Hagland of Trigger Time Kennels. Rusty has no vested interest in this scenario, uh, but he does have some insight to offer that might help folks from uh, experiencing the same misfortune. Plus, we'll also get into health and maintenance tips for your hunting dog coming up on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Down is a road, seems like it goes all forever. Hey guys, Cable here, and uh, I want to tell you about outdoor access. See, access is the one thing I hear hunters complaining about the most. They don't have a place to hunt, but they want to, right? Well, outdoor access is the solution to that problem. Think Uber, but for hunters. It's a membership-based program. It's only $9 a month, but it gives you access to a list of properties for uh, hunting whatever you want. You want to hunt deer one weekend? Great. You want to hunt ducks on another property the next? Fine. Turkey on another? You have dozens to choose from. And it's a lot less expensive than paying for a traditional 52-week lease. So if you're interested in basically what I call Uber for the outdoorsman, use the activation code Lone Star at checkout. Just go to outdooraccess.com. That's outdooraccess.com. And use my promo code Lone Star for 30% off your membership. That's OutdoorAccess.com. Hey guys, Cable here, and uh, I want to tell you about Outdoor Access. See, access is the one thing I hear hunters complaining about the most. They don't have a place to hunt, but they want to, right? Well, Outdoor Access is the solution to that problem. Think Uber, but for hunters. It's a membership-based program. It's only $9 a month, but it gives you access to a list of properties for uh, hunting whatever you want. You want to hunt deer one weekend? Great. You want to hunt ducks on another property the next? Fine. Turkey on another? You have dozens to choose from. And it's a lot less expensive than paying for a traditional 52-week lease. So if you're interested in basically what I call Uber for the outdoorsman, use the activation code Lone Star at checkout. Just go to outdooraccess.com. That's outdooraccess.com. And use my promo code Lone Star for 30% off your membership. That's OutdoorAccess.com. I run up and down the road, making music as I go. They say my pace would kill a normal man. But I've never been accused of being normal anyway. And I woke up still not dead again today. There's the red-headed stranger, Willie Nelson, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Long-time presenting sponsors, thanks to you for being here. I appreciate each and every one of you as we are talking all things hunting dogs, specifically retrievers today. Uh, Bell and I actually went on our first duck hunt of the season this past week. And I'll be honest with you, duck hunting is my first love. Uh, there's nothing that I enjoy more than than watching Bell work, and before her it was Maverick. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's as good as it gets for me. They love it. I mean, they absolutely love their job, and and there's nothing that can replicate that shared bond between a hunting dog and its owner. And that goes for anything, whether you're hunting 
pheasant, uh, mountain lions, hogs, bears, you name it. Uh, that is something that is to be treasured, in my opinion. It's, it's something humans have been doing for, for thousands and thousands of years. And, uh, and I hope that that tradition of man and beast acquiring food together is something that never changes. I know the antis would uh, much rather see it go away, but we'll fight the good fight. That being said, we're about to visit with longtime retriever trainer Rusty Hagland of Trigger Time Kennels. He's going to weigh in on my friend Jacob Orr's nightmarish experience, which we heard all about in the previous segment. And we'll do that momentarily, but first, this segment proudly brought to you by Vortex Optics. You know, I'm a minimalist when it comes to gear, meaning I like great high-end gear that's going to perform in the field, right? But I don't want to carry extra stuff. So, especially when it comes to rifle hunting, I can't tell you what a game changer the Vortex Fury has been because it's a rangefinder combined with a binocular. So, that's right. You don't need to carry two pieces of equipment into the field because you got them both right there. It's the Fury HD rangefinding binocular, and you can find it at vortexoptics.com. All right. Well, uh, our next guest is here in studio. Let's bring him on right now, Rusty Hagland. Trigger Time Kennels, thanks for being here, man. Well, it's great to be here, too. My pleasure. So uh, how is your season going? Are you able to get out and actually do some hunting, or are you too busy training dogs? Well, we <laughs> we try to get out, unfortunately. The dogs win yeah. every time. Uh, training full-time has its uh, drawbacks, but you're from you're originally from Minnesota, Yes, sir. And what's the duck hunting like up there? Slow. Really? Not yes, that sir. great, huh? No, not duck hunting. I mean, northern Minnesota, you'd hunt a little bit, but come and go pretty fast. Hmm. Okay. I imagine it gets it gets uh, everything freezes up pretty quick there too. Yes, sir. Well, we welcome that down here in Texas. So send them our way, right? Yes, sir. <laughs> well, so how long have you been training dogs? Well, full time now since two thousand eight. Uh huh. And on and off for a few years before that. Okay. So quite a while. Um, and, you know, you're aware of the story of why I kind of wanted to have you on today. My good friend Jacob Orr, he recently went through a, a nightmarish experience with his former lab and former trainer. Uh, I know you kind of know a little bit about the story. You have no vested interest in, you know, one side or the other. You don't, you're not picking sides. I just wanted to have you on to kind of educate us on what people can do to avoid having this happen. So is there, you know, is there a vetting process? And by that, I mean, what do you, what, what do you advise people to do as far as when they're trying to find the right trainer for, for them and for their dog? Well, I recommend going out and actually meeting them. Uh-huh. You know, people can talk the talk on the phone or email or whatever, but until you see the dogs run and see their kennel facilities, I mean, you don't know. And what do you look for in a in a facility that says, "Hey, this is this is a good facility," or "Hey, this is a red flag"? Well, I mean, is it clean? Does it smell? You know, are there employees going around picking stuff up, keeping things clean? Uh-huh. Like, are there any online resources that uh, you just said go meet the person? But what do you, is there a place where people can go to say, "Hey, like, how do you know? Hey, I'm going to go meet Rusty, but how do I find Rusty?" There's sites you could go to to check hunt test results, field trial results, uh-huh. whatever. Um, there's there's quite a few ways to check people out. Well, I mean, obviously, 
I had a great relationship with my with Bell's trainer, uh, Angie and Tiger Retrievers, and she's since retired. And so she sent all of her or recommended that all of her clients, you know, she sent them to you. And so that's how, I mean, that's all I needed to know because I respect Angie and I love what she did with my dog. So if she recommends you, then, then that speaks volumes. And I think, you know, word of mouth obviously is, uh, I'm sure a big part of your business as well. Yeah. Like a restaurant, you know, you <laughs> get a bad steak. Everyone knows about it. Right. You get a good steak. Not very many people know about it. Uh-huh. And so what is, what is the ideal number of dogs for you to have that you're working with at one time? We keep it anywhere between 20 and 30. I mean, we got four people that work out there. Everyone has their hands on the dogs. You know, you try to run these dogs twice a day. Just allow for the time. Uh huh. And do you take dogs of, I mean, all ages come in? Well, we don't recommend anything under six months. Uh-huh. Um, and then we'll take them as old as they are. I mean... We got nine-year-olds, ten-year-olds that come in. <laughs> With no prior training experience? Well, they have a little bit, but uh-huh. not a whole lot. Do you recommend that the owner of a you know, potential client develop a bond with their dog before bringing them to you? Yes, I do. And see, that's one of the reasons why I don't recommend anything under six months. I mean, yeah, sure, we'll take them. Mm-hmm. But you, it'll be more cost efficient in the long run if you wait. And what kind of a foundation should you already have laid with that with that dog? Like as far as like what, I, you don't want to get in the trainer's way. So should they be healing? Should they be retrieving a bumper for fun? You know, keeping it lighthearted, um, sit, stay, all that stuff. Well, I I tell everyone. Just create a retrieving monster. I mean, yeah, they should know their manners. They uh-huh. all see it, you know, and don't jump all over. But for formal training, just leave that to us. I mean, create that retrieving desire. You told me you told me off the air one of the best dogs you ever worked with was a black mouth cur. Yes, sir. <laughs> so yes, sir. If they have the desire to retrieve, yep. I mean, most people think of a cur as a you know. Uh, a hog dog here in Texas. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it was a damnedest thing. Huh. Okay, so that's that's the basic foundation. What about the structure of your training process for the dog that you know myself that I would want, like like Bell, just a, a well mannered dog. I'm not I'm not running hunt tests or anything like that. Um, but I want a dog that's going to do the work, be well mannered in the blind, and honor if there's other dogs you know, not break, be collar condition, all that stuff. Um, what is the structure like and, and how long should you expect that to take to, to get that finished product? Well, you know, we, it might see. vary a little dog to dog, right? A- absolutely. I mean, our programs run anywhere from four months till two years. I mean, depends on what you want out of a dog. Um, a good finished product is right around a year. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, our gun dogs, they go through the same training process as our test dogs. I mean, we hold our standards pretty high. Okay. Well, so Jacob's dog was at this kennel for 13 months. And when he got the dog back, she was fat, out of shape, would jump on you, wouldn't heal, you know, had to be shocked with the collar and, and was deathly afraid of the collar too. Um, 
Now, Jacob had some regrets because he only went out there, he said, a handful of times in the 13 months to check on the dog. Other than that, it was just phone calls with the trainer. And wouldn't a trainer be able to, to figure out if that dog is going to wash out and, and not be the dog that you're expecting to get back? And thir- 13 months seems like a long time to say, here's your crappy dog back. Sorry, it didn't work out. Yeah, I mean, it depends on how far you want the dog to go. Um you know, does it make it through force fetch? Well, yes, it did. Okay, let's keep going. Um, you can hit a wall anywhere in that training, to be honest, mm-hmm. but 13 months is quite a while. I mean, yeah, you should know within that four months of basic program. Yeah. Sure. And I haven't been to your facility yet, but you're going to train my next dog, and I'm going to get one, uh, a chocolate female out of, out of a litter this spring. When I come to your facility... Your dogs, I imagine, are going to be lean and in shape. Yeah. Yeah, they will be that. <laughs> this thing, Jacob's dog came back fat and overweight. Like, I don't understand that. Well, you know, our personal dog, I mean, she looks at a banana and it goes straight to her ass. I mean, every dog's different. That could just be the way the dog's built, too. Sure, sure. I mean, every dog, like you said, is different, just like people. Um, we're going to take a quick break, though. When we come back... I want to hit on if if you think Jacob really needed to take any of the blame from the situation because he's beating himself up and I think you know it's somewhat unwarranted to be honest with you and then also how to find the right breeder so that you get the right dog for your needs uh, whether that's from a kennel or a backyard breeder so uh, we'll get into that next that segment was brought to you by all seasons feeders and the damn fish feeder you know what Wintertime is here, but your fish are still hungry. If you're trying to grow big bass or maintain a healthy population of catfish, crappie, perch, whatever, you need to check out the damn fish feeder. You put it on your damn dam and you feed your damn fish. It's that easy. It's the damn fish feeder. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. We'll be right back with more from Rusty Hagland of Trigger Time Kennels on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Sometimes I get lost out on this saddle. Every bridge I cross just turns me upside down. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Live Oak Outdoors offers some of the best waterfowl hunting in the Central Flyway. Hunting over 2,000 acres of cut rice along the coast that attracts wintering geese by the tens of thousands. Hunts take place out of layout blinds or white parkas over a spread of 1,500 decoys. It's also common to shoot pintail and other puddle ducks in the goose spread. Professional guides make sure you have a safe and memorable hunt of a lifetime. They're based out of El Campo, Texas. Check them out at liveoakoutdoors.com or you can book your hunt by calling Chris Slimp at 832-466-9646. Hey everybody, this is David Blanton and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoors. Cable 
Smith here with you today. Thanks for tuning in to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. That is Troy Cartwright, Paris, Texas, the name of that tune. Thank you guys and gals for being here so much. Thanks to DSC, our title sponsor, as well as Lone Star Beer and our friends over at Hoff Power Polaris. We are talking hunting dogs today, specifically retrievers and trainers, uh, because there's a, a lot of trust that goes into hiring a trainer. Your dog is part of your family, right? And so to let someone else be responsible, to be the guardian of your animal for sometimes, you know, three months to up to a year, maybe longer, that's a, that's a big responsibility we place on the trainer, but we expect results. We expect them to do right by our dog. My friend Jacob, or that didn't happen to him. We already heard about his experience. And so we're visiting with Rusty Hagland of Trigger Time Kennels here today. Uh, third party has nothing, no skin in the game when it comes to that other experience that I referenced regarding Jacob and his trainer. Uh, so just kind of picking Rusty's brain here today on the things that you need to know before you decide on a trainer. Um, and we'll get back into that momentarily. But first, this segment is brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. When you do get that finished dog and she brings back that first banded bull sprig, you want to put it on the wall, right? Beautiful pintail. I know I've got one on my wall. The first one that old Maverick brought back to me, actually. Um, but there's only one place that I trust. That's Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. They've got shops in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. They do a lot more than ducks. They do everything from my African safaris to uh, British Columbia wolves, trout and redfish replicas and everything in between. I'll put my reputation on the quality of work that they're going to deliver. You can find them at gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. Let's get back into it here with Rusty Hagland, who's uh, in studio today. And we already got the background of, of Jacob's experience with his trainer, Rusty. But I'll tell you, and he even said he assumes a lot of the guilt for that situation. Like He didn't go check in on the dog as much as he would have liked to have. And so he didn't personally see that this dog wasn't going to hack it for what he wanted. But after 13 months, it seems like somewhere very early on in that process, the trainer should have been able to say, hey, this isn't going to be the dog that you want. It just doesn't have the temperament and the drive to be the, the high-octane retriever that you want. So do you want to cut your losses here and, and try something different? Or do you want to do something else? I mean, am I off base here? Uh, it seems like the trainer should have realized that very early on in the process. I mean, to me, the guy didn't do anything wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, he trusted his trainer. And, hey, I mean, that's where I want a client. Just trust me. Uh -huh. Jacob trusted him. Uh -huh. I mean, the guy should have been more up front. Yeah. Hey, I'm having problems here. You know, do you want us to work through it or do you not? Or What's the point of to keep putting money into an investment that's never going to be what you want? And I think that's the other thing is you got to pick a trainer that has the ability to, to sort that out. Like this dog is just, it's not going to cut it. <laughs> I went, you know, we were talking about the Ducks Unlimited dog. Uh -huh. That's Bill. <laughs> yep. And I had one come in the same way. Uh -huh. And I couldn't get it to do anything the first month, called the owner. Yeah. He's like, I've seen him retrieve. I know he retrieves. And I couldn't get him to do anything. Well, then the second month went by. I told him, I said, man, I ain't getting nothing. He's like, can my wife and I come out? I said, absolutely. Well, they came out of the truck. They had a 
14 inch stuffed alligator huh and that dog retrieved that huh. so that's how i got it force fetched wow. <laughs> <laughs> ended up being a pretty decent dog uh-huh you're going back to bell and i told you you know uh, i was sitting at that ducks unlimited auction uh, banquet and uh i was just trying to bump the price up on the you know they have a dog that they're Usually some scantily clad girl is parading around, letting everyone pet, trying to get people that have had too much to drink interested in buying in the live auction. Well, I don't think I was really overserved that night, but I was just trying to... I was like, surely it didn't... The dog came with this painting, which you can see the picture of Belle with that pintail right there. <laughs> the, the, the artist did a great job. Came with a $500 vet voucher, a kennel, all this stuff, right? I was like, this is going to go for more than 2500 bucks, which is where I was bidding at. No. Then they're like, Oh, 2500 sold to that schmuck right there. Oh, and uh, and Angie, I had been talking to Angie and was planning on getting a dog you know, out of her kennel. And she's like, what? You're bringing me a Ducks Unlimited newspaper dog? You don't know where that dog came from? And luckily, it, it all worked out. And Belle's been a hell of a dog. Everything that I could have wanted. Generally speaking, do you have a little more apprehension when people bring you dogs that are not from solid pedigree? Um. No, not really. Like just a backyard breeder, basically. I mean, as long as they're healthy, I mean, Uh that's the main concern. Um, You know, like I told you before, papers don't make a dog hunt. Yeah. Can you get a good dog, out from from your litters, a good dog and a dog that doesn't want to retreat? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're just like cars. Every now and then you get a (laughs) lemon. And so what happens if you actually did have one that you sold to a client that's... Just didn't want to do the work. I don't know. I try to make it right, but, uh-huh. you know, sometimes people will be like, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. I mean, but we honestly try to make it right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so how many, what, what is your, what is your breeding program like? How many, how many sires and or studs and bitches <laughs> how many do you have? Well, we have, let's see, four breeding females, I believe. And then, you know, we have two of our own personal studs mm-hmm. but you know we got a kennel full of client studs too yeah you know? so we'll use whoever we think is going to be a good match okay and on 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 the the bitches do you know what kind what color they're going to throw like after that first litter that it's pretty consistent after that like how do you know we're going to have a chocolate out of this this litter this spring <laughs> it's a repeat breeding so she hasn't thrown anything but chocolate okay but it's not uncommon to get it, you know, um, yellows and blacks out of the same. No, that's not uncommon at all. But you gotta, you know, they gotta carry the color gene, mm-hmm. in you know, one way or another. Mm. Well, back to this situation. So, so to help people avoid like something like this from happening, um, how often? Because this was Jacob's only regret. Really, was that he didn't go out there and check on the dog more than. I think he said three or four times. How often should I come out there? I mean, three or four times is quite a bit. Okay. You know, to be honest. I mean, we have a lot of our clients are out of state, so I hardly ever get to see them. There's clients I've never even met. Really? You know, that goes to the trust factor. Mm-hmm. Um, but I highly recommend to everyone come out as much as you can. Okay. Because you're going to learn, too. Like, when Angie first started training Bell, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, you know, the the commands that I would issue in the house was a totally different language than what she was teaching Bell. Absolutely. I mean, when you come out, you know, like at our place, when you come out, 
I'll have you run your dog. If you don't want to, just sit, listen, and learn. Uh I mean, sometimes I'll have you run a few dogs. Yeah, and it's very important because, like I said, whenever uh, whenever Belle and I, the day that I picked her up, you know, I was telling Jacob about this, that it was at a hunt test out in Bonham or something, and the three months was up. I think it was like basic gun dog school. They just lay the, the foundation, the framework. And Angie's like, uh, she can handle this. Bella's ready to get her junior title. But I wasn't because I didn't know what to, I didn't know that I could stop her. So she go, she hadn't seen me in a month. She runs to go get the, the mallard and, and I send her and she makes it about 30 yards. Then is like, wait a second. And she's wagging her tail and she runs back to me and like wants to have some love. You know, she hasn't seen yep, me in a long yep. time. Angie was like, you could have stopped her. You know what? And I was like, I didn't know and because I hadn't done it enough. And, and that goes back to the, the part about you're learning too, as your retriever is. Absolutely. And so we failed with flying colors. They're like, sir, you can collect your dog now. <laughs> and we, and I never did it again. And I didn't really care. You know, it wasn't, yes. it wasn't what I was after. I just wanted the dog that's going to behave and, and fetch ducks. Like I tell everyone hunt tests, you know, they're, it's great to get titles on them, uh-huh. but it's, Something to do during the off season. Sure. And is the titles more of a a hobby, do you think, for people? Or is it the higher title your dog gets, the more you're able to sell those puppies for? Correct. Mm-hmm. Correct. Oh, Bell Spade. So it was like not, not a big deal for me to, to go down that road. Yes, yeah, sir. And we knew quickly that we weren't cut out for it. Well, a lot of it's just <laughs> bragging rights. Too. Yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Um, how important are working with actual birds as opposed to bumpers? I find it real important. We train almost strictly with ducks. Okay. Um, every now and then we'll throw bumpers, but nine times out of ten we're using ducks. And so do you have like a situation where your clients can come out and be a part of that? Do you shoot live flyers? Or? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. We shoot live flyers for the dogs once a week. Okay. And are, do you invite the the owners to come out if they want to be a part of that? Absolutely. I mean, anytime, just call out and come on out. Okay. And then what about recycling those birds? Like you shoot them, then do you freeze them and then thaw them? And what is that? Just for people out there that are, you want to work on it on their own. You know, one or two dogs. I mean, a frozen duck will last month. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, yeah. We we get about a week out of them, uh-huh. you know, refreeze them every day and you know depends on if you're training on land or water water they go quicker but yeah let's talk about collar conditioning how do you introduce the collar to the dog and is that something that is that varies from dog to dog because like i said jacob's dog he got it back after 13 months and it was deathly afraid of the collar i pick up a collar bell starts wagging her tail and is like let's go to work collar conditioning is kind of a touchy situation i mean a lot of people misinterpret it by you know you're teaching my dog with that collar well you ain't teaching you're reinforcing what's already taught Mm -hmm. um you know we we'll teach everything and then we'll start introducing the collar and we'll turn it down the lowest setting we'll keep turning it up until You know, you get an eye twitch or something. (laughs) I mean, these dogs don't have to be screaming to get their attention. Uh So am I doing it wrong by having it just turned all the way up to full power whenever I'm hunting Bell? 
Well, depends on the dog, I guess. I rarely ever have to shock her, ever, really. Uh, maybe one time at the beginning of the season to, like I told you off the air, I don't work with her as much as I should anymore with three kids, all with sports and, and you know, hunting deer, like I told you. It's cheating on Bell sitting in a deer stand so much this year um, that I don't work with her as much as I, I used to or probably should. But, but still, it's like riding a bike for a dog that's nine years old. Absolutely. And like I said, all you're doing is reinforcing what's already taught. Yeah. But I will fry her once in a while. And but when I hunted Maverick and Bell together, there was a couple of times when I shocked the wrong dog. I'm trying to shock Maverick because he was a little more hard-headed. And I look over and Bell's just like twitching next to me. I, I've been there, done that. Yeah. Makes you feel pretty bad, but it does happen. Um, as far as... The thing, like I told Jacob on the on the Facebook post, people are like, oh, you're too lazy to train your own dog. I'm like, no. Life gets in the way. Some people don't want to train their own dog. They don't have the passion for it. But that's why, I mean, that's why you're in this business. It's a service that exists. And it wouldn't exist if, you know, if the product, like Jacob's experience was such a bad one, right? But the finished product exists. It's not like this this uh, imaginary thing. Like you, you can pay money and have a master hunter delivered to your door if that's what you want. Correct. I mean, you know, like you said, word of mouth is pretty powerful. Um, you know, you can check out those websites. Actually, go to a hunt test in the local area sometime. I mean, you proof is in the pudding right there. Yeah. I mean, you watch someone's dogs compared to that guy's dogs and that guy's dogs i mean you're comparing constantly do they look happy you know that's the main thing i mean are the dogs crawling around up to line with them or are they ready to go wagging their tail chomping at the bit yes okay um let's do this let's take a quick break we'll come back i want to ask you about uh english labs versus american labs and uh the, the different colors i mean i have a chocolate I'll always have a chocolate. People say, oh, they're dumb. Well, I want to find out what your take is on that. So we'll do that after the break. Sound good? Sounds great. All right. And that segment brought to you by Our Luck Outfitters. If you're looking for the Newfoundland moose hunting trip of a lifetime, if you're looking for a moose hunt and you don't want to drop $25,000 to go to Alaska or the Yukon, then uh, maybe start thinking about Newfoundland. I just got back from there. Had an amazing trip, took a 13-point bull moose, weighed about 1,000 pounds, came hauling tail, well, for a moose anyway. They don't move that fast, but he came into the call grunting, all pissed off. It was awesome. Everything that I wanted and then some. Check it out. Our Luck Outfitters for your moose hunting adventure. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Place for beer and bar. Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them cable sent you. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. 
Hey guys, Cable here, and uh, I want to tell you about outdoor access. See, access is the one thing I hear hunters complaining about the most. They don't have a place to hunt, but they want to, right? Well, outdoor access is the solution to that problem. Think Uber, but for hunters. It's a membership-based program. It's only $9 a month, but it gives you access to a list of properties for uh, hunting whatever you want you want to hunt deer one weekend great you want to hunt ducks on another property the next fine turkey on another you have dozens to choose from and it's a lot less expensive than paying for a traditional 52 week lease so if you're interested in basically what i call uber for the outdoorsman use the activation code lone star at checkout just go to outdooraccess.com that's outdooraccess.com and use my promo code lone star for 30% off your membership. That's OutdoorAccess.com. Hello, walls. Hello. Hot things go for you today. Don't you miss her? Since she up then walked away. There's an oldie buddy goodie, Farron Young. Hello, Walls, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today. Happy holidays to you and yours. Hope everyone had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I know I certainly did. Ate some great food, spent some quality time with family and friends, and then also spent some time in a duck blind and in a tree hunting that big whitetail who is still MIA. More on that in a future episode, but... Dang, uh, bow hunting urban deer is about the most frustrating undertaking I've ever experienced. Um, that being said, you know what's not frustrating? Hunting with a well-trained retriever. And we are going to continue that discussion with trainer Rusty Hagland here momentarily. But first, this segment is brought to you by the Pulsar Axion handheld monocular. It's what I use heading in and out of my tree stand uh, all of my deer hunting setups, uh, specifically for bow hunting, you know, it's close quarters. You don't want to blow deer out as you're approaching your stand, or maybe you want to leave, but you've got does feeding underneath you or, or in that area. You know, we had a bumper acorn crop this year in a lot of places, uh, and you don't want to blow them out exiting the area either. You just got to let them feed on out of the way, and uh, then you can climb down. The Axion is perfect. It's literally the size of my cell phone, fits in my pocket, and you can find it, as well as Pulsar's entire lineup of thermals and night vision optics, right there at PulsarNV.com. Well, picking it back up here with Rusty, man, certainly appreciate you sticking around through the break, my friend. Hey, it's not a problem. <laughs> I love it. I love talking hunting dogs. And <laughs> yes. As we're talking about labs specifically, and, and like you said, any dog that wants to retrieve, you can do whatever. You train to cur. I'm sure you work with Boykins and uh, and and Goldens and Chessies and whatever else, right? I've never had my hands on a Boykin, but everything <laughs> else I pretty much have. Lab's just my personal preference. There's plenty of great hunting dogs, you know, retriever options out there. What about comparing American versus English Labs? Is the shorter, stockier English Labs? I have not had one of those. Um, what do you what do you prefer and what do you breed? I mean, we breed American. I uh -huh. mean, the American is more wide open. I mean, they're a lot more forgiving when you're training. 
Um, the anglers tend tend to mature a little later, okay. so you got to be more careful when you're training them. Um, I've trained both. I mean, I've had success with both. As far as physical attributes, is there? I mean, is there any advantage or disadvantage? Does one have a thicker coat than the other? Absolutely not. I mean, they're both pretty hardy in the blind. I mean, I think the American can probably go a lot longer, uh-huh. and the blind just because. You know they're a lot more amped. Yeah. Well, and they're lankier, right? I mean, they're, yes, yes. Those those English labs are short and stocky and muscular. You know, um, but yeah, I don't. I just wanted to like get your take on whether there was really any advantage to having one or over the other. I I honestly don't. I mean, just training wise, mm-hmm. and you know, you'll get your product quicker with the American, I believe. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. So either way on that one. It's interesting, though. You, you you definitely can see, when you see an English lab, you know, oh, this is a lot different than the dog that I have at home. Yes. And some people swear by those, and, and some people swear by the Americans. So it's, uh, what about taking it to another another level? And I don't know if it's still as relevant today as it was when I got Maverick 15 years ago. Uh, but because now we have all these other genes, Silver Labs, Red Fox Labs, everything. Um, but people would be like, oh, why'd you get a chocolate? Chocolate labs are dumb. It's a recessive gene. So what did you take on that? Because the yellow labs are a recessive gene too. Well, I'll take a good chocolate any day. I mean, <laughs> I think they got their bad name because people did breed just for the color. Mm-hmm. Rather, now people are doing for genetics and traits. And, and you know, I've, I've been blessed with some really nice chocolates. Mm-hmm. Well, for me, it's just a color preference. I mean, I just like I just like the chocolate color. Absolutely, uh, and, absolutely. You know, some people only want to have a black lab. Only want to have a yellow lab. Some people now want to only have a silver lab. What do you? What's your take on these new, these new uh, hypergenetic, you know, produced dogs? Oh, like yeah, oh, I, I don't know. Well, you're not breeding them, are you? No, <laughs> Lordy, no. I mean, from your standpoint, is it more of a health issue? Like, just why haven't you? Doping into that realm. Well, if you're breeding, it's a recessive gene. So, if to me, they ain't purebred. They aren't okay. I mean, I'm just going off reading stuff. Sure. I mean, yeah, they just popped up out of nowhere, and mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> that doesn't just happen. I guess. Yeah, it's uh-huh. okay. Well, you obviously want to stay somewhat mum on that topic. Yeah, I mean... You don't want to deter someone with a silver from bringing yeah. it to you if that's what they want to do. Hey, we've trained them. I mean, do they come out very good? Not really, but, uh-huh. you know, um, we haven't taken any for a long time. We'll never breed to one. Mm-hmm. They just... Yeah. yeah. Well, so what about Chessies? <laughs> Everyone says... You train, maybe you train a golden with a soft voice. You train a lab with a newspaper and you train a Chessie with a stick. <laughs> Are Chessies really hard, more hard headed? Well, they can be. Uh-huh. I mean, you just got to be real careful with them. I mean, they ain't as forgiving and they'll hold a grudge. Mm. But labs overall are the most forgiving dog of all. You know, golden retrievers, they're pretty sensitive. They get their feelings hurt pretty easy. Uh-huh. Um, Chessies, you know, they don't get their feelings hurt, but they hold a grudge. Really? But are they hard-headed? They can be. Yeah. But so can a lab. Sure. So sure. can a golden. Uh-huh. 
What about Chessies in the uh, in the family environment? Do they still great have a great family dog as well? I tell you what, yes. I mean, they're very loyal uh-huh. to their owners. Okay. Something else on this on this Facebook post, which are so many interesting comments on theirs. People saying, "Well, you know, if you don't train your dog, then your dog's only going to be loyal to whoever trained it. You know, if you didn't do it yourself, they're not going to respect you. They're not going to listen to you." Well, what is your response to that? Well, that's something else that I tell everyone. That's why I recommend everyone come out as much as you can. Um, but you have people who live out of state that never come out. Yes. But when someone brings me a dog and when they come and pick them up, we'll, have them, we'll go through everything. And I'll warn them, these dogs associate you with the past. You know, everything they used to get along or get away with, mm-hmm. you know, they're going to try going back to that. Um, where we'll try and create some situations to be able to correct that while they're there. And that way, how do I put it? Um, you got to show them you're in charge too. Mm-hmm. You know, I know you know this. Yeah. You're going to do it for me because you're doing it for him. Hmm. <laughs> Makes sense? Right, right. Okay. Um, one, one other question I have for you is for a guy like myself who I'm not putting my dog in a kennel in the backyard when she's not hunting. You know, she's a, she's a pet. The kids climb all over. Um, can, you still, can you still have that machine, that hunting machine, can you have it? Can you have your cake and eat it too? Yeah, I believe you can. Uh-huh. I mean, our our old girl Penny. I mean, she's she's a big old lover girl in the house. Yeah, but yet when you go to the field, she's all business. Uh huh. And do do most of your clients want a pet and a hunting dog, or do they generally want just you know? Yes, they all want that pet. They do. Okay. Yes, sir. Yeah. Okay. Because I mean, I'm looking. Bell's just laying on the floor in there, and she didn't. When she came out of out of training, she was not like that. She was 100 percent wants. She didn't really need all the love and attention. Now she can't. She, you're sitting in the armchair, and she comes and puts her head on your knee, like pet me, or the kids crawl all over. Her. And that's been a gradual change in her life cycle. Like she didn't. She didn't. She was not like that when she was two and three years old. Maybe even four. You know, she just she wanted to go hunting, and that's all she cared about. Yeah, I mean, when we're out working, Penny, she she don't even want you to pet her. Mm-hmm. She's like, leave me alone. Right. <laughs> but, you know, in These the house. These dogs can flip a switch. Yes. Uh-huh. In the house, she's just like nudging you and being a pest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taking a crap. She's trying to nudge her way into the bathroom. Yeah. If you don't yeah. shut that door all the way, there she Absolutely. is. Absolutely. <laughs> Off the cuff here, are there any other breeds that you've worked with that you've been impressed with it? Uh, you know, other than labs, chessies, and golden retrievers that people have brought in that um, you've you've had, you know, result in a great high energy hunting dog. I mean, I've I've had my hands on some nice German short hairs, uh-huh. wire hairs. I mean, I yeah, I've, German short hairs for for duck dogs. Yeah, I've seen that. Are you working like do you? focus on the upland side of things too with them i i personally don't uh-huh. just for the fact most of our clientele is waterfowl yeah but uh 
I mean, I have worked German short airs, and, you know. Mm-hmm. What about the drop yards? Never had my hands on one. Uh huh. Those seem to be kind of in vogue right now, and uh, and I've hunted with one, and it was a damn good dog. Pretty versatile too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Never had my hands on one of them. Mm. What about the doodles? Has anyone ever brought you a doodle of some kind? Just for obedience. Uh huh. I mean. And I tell you what, he was one of the smartest dogs I ever had my hands on. Well, Poodles are smart. Yeah. Well. But uh, I'll tell you this. My wife's like, well, what if we got a Labradoodle because it wouldn't shed? And I was like, no, the outdoor show host will not be having or hunting (laughs) with any kind of doodle. That is the end of that conversation. (laughs) I've I've had my hands a couple doodles Uh and just for obedience, but they're pretty smart dogs. Yeah. I don't think I could respect myself if yeah. I was out there hunting I'd have to change my haircut <laughs> yeah. maybe get some camp some skinny skinny uh, <laughs> like skinny jean version of camo pants to wear with that doodle yeah yeah, yeah you <laughs> trade don't... in the truck for a for a uh, Prius <laughs> oh lordy <laughs> let's get into health aspects of how you take care of dogs and then how you know I should be taking care of my dog first of all went out there training and it doesn't matter Let's take age out of the equation. What are distress signs that I should be looking for to make sure that, you know, hell, it's, it's, it's hot in Texas in the summertime especially. Um, what advice would you give me as far as making sure that I am aware of what my dog is telling me physically? I mean, you got to watch that dog, especially in that heat. I mean, you could kill a dog in a hurry. Um, look for excessive panting. Uh-huh. You know, sometimes their eyes glaze over. Okay. And they'll get wobbly. I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can watch for. I have had to physically pick Belle up and bring her inside during the summer one time. Oh, yes. And it was, I think, it was like right when uh, we went from spring to like, you know how it is in Texas. All of a sudden, it's June and it's 100 degrees. Yes. And I think I was working her probably in the middle of the day when I shouldn't have been. And it wasn't like we threw 30. It wasn't like 30 minutes of work. It was like, boom, 10 minutes. And she, like you said, started wobbling. I had to pick her up, bring her inside, and uh, I didn't. Then it was evenings only for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we generally carry like rubbing alcohol mm-hmm. to put on their on their sides and their feet and stuff when they overheat. Uh-huh. Um, you know, always have that cool water. Yeah. So rubbing alcohol though. Yes. Okay, and that that cools them down. Yes, sir. I didn't know that. Interesting. Okay. Uh, how much work is too much? Like, how long should a training session be? During during the summer, the heat of the summer, I wouldn't go over five ten minutes. Uh-huh. I mean, that's why we go north. Yeah. I mean, anyone? Yeah. Yeah, five or ten minutes, which is enough. I mean, that's enough to keep your dog sharp. Yeah. Um, what about like this time of year when it's nice outside? It's cool. When it's nice, I mean, you're good for twenty minutes. But yeah, so what is the, what is the dog, and it's going to depend on the dog, but generally speaking, what's too much? Like when is it overload for them or they're, you know, it's just, it's no longer having the desired effect because you're just, you're overdoing it. Yeah. I mean, like I tell everyone, the perfect example is, you know, they're like kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, you make that session too long and they're going to get bored with it and start screwing around. I mean... You can really notice it in younger dogs. Yeah. You know, they're doing good. They're doing good. All of a sudden, they're making a couple mistakes. you got to quit. Uh-huh. 
Um, the older dogs, they usually stay pretty steady. Uh-huh. What other physical things or, or dangers are there? Like you told me you had a dog twist a gut, and that's something that, I mean, it's not unheard of for labs. What, how does that happen, and, and what? how do you know? Actually, there is no scientific reason why it happens. I mean, it just happens. And what, is, what happens internally when you say twist a gut? What is actually happening to the dog? Well, their stomach actually twists and pinches everything off. Well, then they build up with gas. Uh-huh. And they bloat real bad, and and then it's emergency surgery. Oh yeah, it's it's lethal, and you got twenty twenty minutes to forty minutes to get him to a vet. Wow, and you've had to have dogs have that surgery. Yeah, I've I've had two. I've caught them both in time, thank goodness. But uh, and fi- like, what was the physical sign that like they you saw like this dog something's up with this dog? They well, the first first one. I noticed he bloated, uh-huh. and then he just stood there. That was the first time I've ever seen it, so I was like, well, this ain't right. Mm. So we ran him to the vet right away, and uh, that's what it was. Well, the second time I noticed it, he didn't eat all his food, and it was kind of weird for that dog. Mm. And uh, and I sat there and watched him. Sure enough, he started to bloat right away, and we got him to the vet. Do they... Does that happen from physical activity, or can they just happen while they're just sitting there in their kennel? Like, well, I mean, I've that? I've heard of them just being in their kennel right after they eat or mm-hmm. whatever. They eat too fast. I've heard, like I said, there's no scientific method because this one this last spring that it happened to, I mean, we fed him, and he barely touched his food. So mm-hmm. I mean, and we were on the road. He was on the trailer. So I, I have no idea what caused it. What about other, like, in-the-field precautions you should be taking for your dog? Say you're out hunting. Um, I know I, I personally have had friends that their labs have gotten limp tail, uh, where, like, just their tail, like, just doesn't wag anymore. What is that just from being too cold? Or Well, what? they call it cold tail, yes. Cold tail. Um, but a lot of times they'll just bounce back after a couple days. Okay. Um, I've seen that. I've never had a problem with it. it it's painful to them dogs. Uh-huh. So we just back off the water a little bit. And yeah. Um, and then what about foot care? That might be more relevant to people that are hunting upland. And, and a lot of people use their labs for, for upland. Hell, I take bell quail and pheasant hunting when I'm fortunate enough to, to get to get on birds. But um, what do you recommend there? We always carry a, it's called pad heel. Mm-hmm. So if they cut pads or whatever when they're out hunting, you can just paint it on like with a brush. Okay. Um, and they'll usually stiffen it back up again. Um, you know, when you're doing some serious upland hunting, I've actually put boots on dogs, yeah. le- little leather boots. Okay. I imagine those are those can be pricey. I have a, a buddy that I went, uh, Bell and I went out to his place in West Texas, and he had a Brittany. Bell was hunting behind this Brittany, and he had old... He had gone to a bicycle shop and gotten old inner tubes, and he would cut those and put those around the dog on on his feet, and uh, that would prevent him from you know wearing his feet out. and And then I think he duct taped the the bottom of those so that it was you know full steel around the dog's foot. 
Those things work like a champ. I put them on Bell. She was like, what the hell? Oh, yeah. They'll <laughs> high step it for a while. But she they? got over it pretty quick once we started shooting quail. <laughs> yes. She was like, oh, now I'm getting to do what I want to do. The best thing to do with these dogs, I mean, they're athletes. Mm-hmm. You got to keep them conditioned. Mm-hmm. I mean, they can pull muscles just like us. They can have broken ball, anything. I mean, conditioning is the main thing. Yeah. That other dog Maverick I had, he had both of his ACLs replaced. You know, that was, and I was in college, so that was a lot of tables I had to wait to pay for those things. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Uh, What are you going to do, though? You know, and he was my family before I had a family. I was like, oh, he's limping around on three legs. Yep. I'm like, this is the worst thing ever. But a thousand bucks later, and then they're like, oh, yeah, by the way, he's probably going to tear the other one within the next year or two. Lord. <laughs> yeah, that happens. Like, That's cutting into my drinking stuff. money. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Then one time he got poked in the eye with a stick, making a retrieve, chasing a duck, and that was a oh seven or eight hundred dollar deal. Uh, I think the only thing that's happened to Bell in the field was she fell through the ice two years ago, and uh, um, this was in Oklahoma, and it was so cold we had an ice eater, which I'd never hunted with an ice eater before. Uh, but yeah, she, I was behind the blind taking a leak and I had Bell just sitting in the blind and Mallard's come in, my buddy starts shooting and she's sitting there and I see one fall and it landed on the bank and we were, I was only sending her on birds that were in the open hole and I was not sending her on the ice or that landed on the banks and we were going to get a fishing pole and get the ones off the ice. Well, they'd shot three and I only saw the one fall and I was like, Bell, you know, bird, she goes towards that mallard hen that's laying on the bank and then makes a 90 degree turn out on the ice and i was like no and it was too late you know uh-uh. she fell through next thing you know it's been about eight minutes and she's just sitting there and she ain't getting out so yeah, it's like that's... i said all right why don't y'all go get the truck either either i'm going to get the dog or the dog and i are dying but i'm not going home and telling the kids that daddy let their dog die so yes so i went swimming and uh that was about as cold as i've ever been yeah i mean it, well, especially now this time of year, you're going to end up with that cold weather. You got to be careful with them dogs in there. What What is too cold? I mean, I don't know. I mean, I've haunted in the that teens day with was my dog. fourteen degrees. Obviously, yeah, the I pond mean, was frozen. You know. I mean, you just got to watch them. They could get hypothermia just like you and I. I mean, I don't know. I. There's never been a day in Texas where I thought it was too cold to hunt the dog. No. I mean, in 14 degrees, it's freaking cold. But Yes. Uh, I mean, but you got to be smart about it. I ice mean, is forming on their coats, you know. Yes. Th- that's a rare thing here. I don't know if the, the guys up north might have a different perspective of, hey, if it's this cold and the wind's blowing this hard, I'm, I'm not taking the dog. Yeah. I, I don't mean, know. Wear a vest if you can. I mean, a lot of people do. A lot of people don't. I mean, that's personal preference. Oh, I put a vest on her if it's... You know, yeah. in the twenties or you know, yeah, absolutely, so, I would too. Yeah, it's different though. You know, you hunt people hunt all over the all over, and and they have different guidelines. Like one guy, um, pit boss waterfowl up in up in Chesapeake Bay. He he no longer hunts his dogs when he's hunting divers in the in the ocean because he's afraid sharks are going to eat them. Like you never things like that you never think about. Like uh, guys in Florida don't want their dogs to get eaten by alligators. So, uh, yeah, you know, it's just like. I like I like here. <laughs> yeah, we don't like have anything here. Yeah. Um, what about nutrition? Yeah, Are you giving your dog supplements ever? Like do, we we do. 
Okay. Yes. In addition to their food, yes. what so, kind of supplements and what for? I mean, we give we give fish oil pills. Uh-huh. We give vitamin C. We get uh, glucosamine or anything like that. Yep. Well, our older geriatric group they get. <laughs> but, uh, Bell's not there yet, but she might be getting there to the. But yeah, I mean, we're always giving something to uh-huh. these dogs. I mean, the younger dogs, you know, we just stick to the vitamin C and mm-hmm. and. Uh, we have multivitamins we give them, um, but the older ones, you know, yes, they get like glucosamine, the fish oil pills. And, yeah. And what kind of food do you recommend? Well, we feed ProPlant, uh-huh. um, but there's a lot of good brands out there. Yeah. But I'm just, I've never had a But it's a premium it. food. Yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, it's known by everyone. I mean, I've never had a problem with it, so I ain't switching. Sure. Well, see, like, Bell's been an interesting dog on that, like, on dietary. Like, Maverick would eat it, and like I said, Alpo. And then once we, once I got married and my wife adopted him, she's like, we got to take a little better care of this dog. We're not we're not living on nickels anymore, you know? That's right. You're not waiting tables, all right? That's right. And she had a good job. I, you know, I was in radio, so I still would have been feeding him Alpo if it was just me. Um, and so, but, you know, I don't remember what we might have got him on Imes or ProPlan or, or whatever, but. Bell has been like she'll go for like six months eating the same thing and then she'll just stop eating it and it's like no want something different yeah or she'll get an upset stomach and she'll throw up in the house and someone we're not home and then it's like time to switch dog foods again and so finding the right balance for her is it's an it's an ever rotating uh ever evolving science project I always joke with everyone and tell them I feed the best stuff Walmart sales. Yeah. But <laughs> I don't. <laughs> but, uh, and is there any like method to the madness of how much like protein they need or, or any, do you dive into that during hunting season? Do you need to feed them more or? Our dogs are working every day uh-huh. and they're working hard. So we feed higher protein, higher fat content. When they go home, I mean, they can go down to a lower protein, you know, like a maintenance mm-hmm. food or whatever. If they stick to what we feed, all of a sudden they end up with a fat dog. Angie always used to tell me you could put a raw egg in, in their food to help their coat get a little little shine to it. That worked for Maverick. I can't do it to Belle because she'll puke it up. It's just too much for her stomach. I've heard of that. I've, I've never, never done, done that. No. no, okay. But, but I've but, also heard people go to like a locker plant and get... Whole chickens. Uh-huh. I mean, I I just never done any yeah, of that. Yeah. Well, good stuff, Rusty. Hey, I'm certainly looking forward to seeing where this relationship goes. Um, like I said, we're gonna get a, a chocolate female, uh, probably sometime. When will that litter be due? Uh, sometime this spring. Okay. And you will train that dog, and um, we're gonna be chrono- chronologically keeping tabs on how that that develops, and I'll be coming out, and we'll be working with the dog and. If, if other people out there are looking for uh, a trainer, you want to give your website and uh, Facebook page? It's just www.triggertimekennels.com. I didn't ask you this. Why did you, end up, why did you move to Texas? Dogs. <laughs> Is it just too cold to train up there for most yes. of the Yes. I mean, we go up. We spend the summers up there. Uh-huh. We leave beginning of June, come back end of August, and then... We come down here for the rest of the year. The website again, triggertimekennels.com, located in Bonham, Texas, just outside of the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Rusty, it's been a treat having you in studio. I look forward to our next visit.
Yeah, looking forward to it. So there he goes, Rusty Hagelin, longtime retriever trainer. That segment of the show was proudly brought to you by John X Safaris. I'm heading back to South Africa trip number four with John X. It's going down July 25th through August 2nd. If you want to be a part of that, uh, I think we've still got two spots. We're taking myself plus seven hunters. We've got five guys booked and uh, still have those two spots. If you want to be a part of that trip, shoot me an email, LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to both of our guests today, of course, Rusty, as well as Jacob Orr. Well, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great weekend out there. Reach out your hands, baby, kiss that sky.